If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Many mines move as much as 57 tons of rock a year and create, I don't know how much wastewater to get at these little stones. And it, you don't need to do that. So why why would you continue the slaughter of the earth when we've found a way to get what we want with none of that? How do lab-grown diamonds compare in their environmental impact with conventionally mined ones? Given that some people rely on mining diamonds for their livelihoods, why do we still need to transition away from extracting these precious stones by way of mining? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Arbor Teas, for helping to make our work possible. Arbor Teas is a small, family-owned organic tea company driven by sustainability in all of its practices, from the sourcing, packaging, use of renewables to power its operations, and more. I'm excited to share more about their work shortly, but for now, to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Clean Origin, a jewelry company making conflict-free, environmentally friendly, lab-grown diamonds. Previously, he served as president of five jewelry companies, and after discovering lab-created diamonds, he knew instantly that this was the smarter and more ethical choice for consumers. Since then, he decided to commit himself fully to sharing this with the world. I personally didn't know much about this topic prior to our conversation, and I learned a lot, so I hope you also get a lot out of this episode like I did as well. Green Dreamer starting off with what inspired his love for nature, here's Alex Windling. You know, it hasn't always been in my career, and I think that's part of the problem. It's been part of my life. You know, from I was a, a class five rock climber as a young man. That means you climb up with ropes and what we called uh, pitons then and uh, chalks. I don't think any of this technology is used anymore. <laughs> and, you know, when you're a kid coming from New York City and you find yourself out in Yosemite or or out in Yellowstone, 
and you just look around at the beauty and the timelessness of it, you're, you're, you know, you, you just realize that's what's valuable. Our time here is what? 90 years if all goes well and nine milliseconds if it, if it doesn't. But this is the gift, right? I mean, this is it. This is, this is earth and it's very, very, very beautiful. Mm. And um, I'm also a water person. I need water. When I see a body of water, my soul calms always. Yeah. And that's just who I am. Um, I'm either in the water or on the water every day. I'm either in swimming or I'm paddle boarding or I used to sail, still sail a little bit. I don't know. It's just part of me. You mentioned that your professional career wasn't always revolved around sustainability. Uh, can you paint a picture of what that looked like prior to you entering the world of lab-grown diamonds? Probably a little ugly and um, difficult. You know, I was a history major in college and really wanted, probably had I had the courage to have been a journalist like you are, or um, a history professor, but there was, um, you know, being the child of an immigrant, there was the insecurities that translate across the generational lines and, you know, how are you going to earn a living and, and probably a little too much focus on that. Mm-hmm. And so the family has a legacy. I mean, my, my family had been in the traditional diamond business for several generations. There was enormous pressure on me to come in. I said no. My older cousin, it was my dad and my uncle, went in after his first trip to De Beers, the evil empire. <laughs> they are what they are, right? I mean, they're just a, a legacy British monopoly who, you know, terrorized the subcontinent of Africa when uh, when the whole world was doing that. Mm. Okay, so, but... Whatever. So he comes back from his first trip, marches into the office and announces to my dad, my uncle, if you have to kowtow to people like that to make a living, I'd rather starve. And that was it for him. Mm. And then, uh, you know, it came on to me and, you know, there was a sense of obligation, not wanting to disappoint your parents. So I went into that for a number of years and I was, I guess you'd call it successful, but obviously very, very conflicted about the whole thing. Never liked it. Couldn't wait to get out. Got out. I was gone, finally. What was it that kind of led you to that decision where you eventually felt like this was it? What's it like when fingernails are on a blackboard and you're stuck in that room? Mm. At some point, you finally get up out of the chair and you say, I'm done. I'm done. And, you know, I have a beautiful marriage and my wife said, well, you know, I'll go live in a double wide with you if that's what you need. This is not a dress rehearsal, Alex. This is it. This is our life. We have healthy children. We have everything. We have each other. So um, I got out and was done with it and was doing other things and growing the best tomatoes the state of Connecticut can offer. That's what my kids tell me. I love gardening. I'm a big gardener. And um, then all these guys started calling me because they had figured out a way to grow diamonds in laboratories, real diamonds, beautiful diamonds, indistinguishable from the ones ripped out of the ground. And I said, guys, I'm done. I'm not doing this. <laughs> anymore. Stop calling me. But then it occurred to me, well, I'll tell you what it went through. I, I, I live very near the Long Island Sound. And uh, there was a time when we hunted whales till near extinction right on these waters. And it, it was a huge industry. Now, we weren't killing them senselessly. We needed whale oil to light up the nights. Uh, whale oil powered our, our lamps and lubricated the early industrial machinery there wasn't an alternative and it was a big industry 
the town of New Bedford, Massachusetts, had the highest GDP per member of the population in the United States. And I think in parts of the world, it might even be the world. Remember, I'm a history major, but I'm getting older, so maybe I forget. But it was one of the two. Then, thank goodness, progress, Thomas Edison invents the incandescent light bulb and the slaughter stops. Finally, the slaughter stops. So I'm looking at the water. I'm thinking about the whales and I'm saying, wait a minute, you know, um, the slaughter of the earth can stop. We don't need to dig a pit 20 football fields deep into the earth. Many mines move as much as 57 tons of rock a year and create, I don't know how much wastewater to get at these little stones. And it, you don't need to do that. So why, why would you continue the slaughter of the earth when we've found a way to get what we want with none of that? With none of that. It's just, it's not logical to continue anymore. Now we can argue who needs diamonds and, and, and I'm, I'm happy to have that debate because I'll tell you, you don't need them. But you know, we do need symbols. We're human beings. We're sentient, emotional beings. And until you've seen a bride look down at that diamond that that boy actually pulled out of his pocket and gave to her, and it may not be a boy, it might be a same-sex couple. It's all good to me. Until you see the, the glimmer in that person's eye, you don't understand. But these symbols are important and have been in every society. But so if we need these things to commemorate, to memorialize, to punctuate our commitments and our love to each other. We don't need to taint them with destroying our only planet. You know, there is no planet B. This is it. Okay, if Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, he can go. I like it here. And it sounds like that moment you described when you made that connection between whale oil and how we were, you know, destroying whale populations for that. But then there, there was a new invention that came along that gave us an op opportunity to move away from that that realization seemed like was a pivotal moment for you in starting Clean Origin. Totally, totally. See, I do believe in the arc of history leading us to better and better places. I do believe we are really capable of that as sentient beings. You know, science has done amazing things for this planet. It's also done some pretty awful things, you know, the most heinous of which might be a nuclear bomb. But, you know, if we can really harness our intelligence and uh, look long term. Don't look in minutes. Don't look in years. Look in generations. Look in eons. It's so clear that science can deliver us what we've always wanted. And by the way, this is the only sustainable technology that I know of that's less expensive than the one it's replacing. A Tesla costs a lot more than a Ford. And my organic apples, for some reason, cost three times as much as the other ones. But you know, these lab-grown diamonds, which are indistinguishable from real, real, I can't use that anymore, thank goodness, from, <laughs> from dirty diamonds or from mine diamonds, they're chemically, optically, gemologically, 100% diamond. Even the FTC has said De Beers can no longer call them synthetic diamonds because this is existential for them. They're like the whalers sitting up in New Bedford, Mass, saying we want the slaughter to go on. They're indistinguishable. So, you know, it's just it's so obvious. Like, why wouldn't we? Not only can we get them without ripping craters in the earth visible, literally visible from the atmosphere, but we can make them more accessible to more people. The joy that I can bring to a young military couple, believe it or not, that's a big cohort for us. Those people don't make a lot of money. And now he can afford a one carat, really a beautiful one carat diamond. 
one that anyone would be like thrilled to have on their finger. Uh, whereas on an E2 or an E3 salary, he, you know, he's not going to be able to afford anything but a half carat from a K Jewelers or something like that. And it's not going to be as pretty. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be as clean, not just in its provenance, but um, in its appearance. Yeah. So this is, this is just beautiful. You know, I can feel good about everything I do. The idea of lab-grown diamonds, I feel like many people by now have already heard of this, but especially when you were first starting out, what was your biggest challenge in trying to get this message out there that we have an alternative and it's just as beautiful and also makes it more affordable for more people to be able to access? So it's still a challenge because um, we're one voice in the jungle. There's a lot of the old voices are doing their best to squash ours. Uh, What I love love, love about the millennial generation is this generation calls bullshit faster than any other. (laughs) And you cannot play games with these people. And I'm a very transparent person. That's how I live my life. My kids say I have no filter, but it's probably the same thing. You know, the truth will come out very quickly in this world. But I think the biggest issue for people are, they used to say, well, I want a real diamond. So De Beers was petitioning the Federal Trade Commission to say that these aren't real. And the FTC stuffed them. It was like LeBron dropping that dunk over another player. They said, no, these are 100% real. A diamond is a diamond. The only difference is the provenance. One is produced by simulating nature's actions in a laboratory, and the other is made underground. So the challenge is really the big guys from the conventional diamond mining industry not wanting this, I guess, novelty and... Not secret anymore, but this new thing to take over and for people to see see clearly through this. Do you think the whalers wanted to stop slaughtering the whales and find something else to do with their lives and stop making all the money that they made? Mm-hmm. It's human nature. It doesn't make them bad people. They're, you know, I mean, it's not the value system I hold, but that is a big issue. And creating understanding, awareness, sunshine, whatever you want to call it, will take time. When people get these on their finger and they go to their local jeweler and they don't tell them it's a lab grown, the jeweler won't know. No one knows. You can't see the difference. No one can see the difference except a machine, which gets it most of the time, not all. Well, to help us understand how mine diamonds compare to lab-grown diamonds in terms of their environmental impact, you touched on this earlier, but can you walk us through the process of mining diamonds and what that entails? Sure. I'm Look, I'm not the world's expert on it. But uh, there are two main processes, and obviously the open pit mines are the most famous, I should say. So there's the open pit mines, many of which are indeed visible from the atmosphere. Another, this is one of, this is an appalling thing. There are these special ships that have been built by the miners that have huge vacuums on them, and they suck the sea floor bed and suck up everything on the bed and put it through a mass a masticator to get out all the diamonds that are on the seabed floor. Remember, when a volcano erupts or when water flows towards the sea, it it, over the centuries has carried down a lot of the uh, diamonds that have then gone to the bottom of the ocean floor. So this this giant vacuum is sucking up everything living, every piece of coral, everything down there and bringing it up on the boat and masticating it, separating the diamonds and then putting it all back. So They're trying to tell us it's all okay because we're putting everything back. Okay, good story. All right. It just doesn't work for me. That is a big mining practice, and that's a very profitable 
mining practice. The big diamond mine in Africa, in Botswana, which they're just putting another $3 billion into so they can go even deeper, brags of moving 57 million tons of earth in a year. And this is their words, not mine. And is now running almost 20 football fields deep into the earth. And have you wow. ever seen a picture of an open pit mine? It ain't pretty. And living near it can't be fun because you've got to get all that rock waste out and then you get all the waste water out. It's just not necessary. You know, why are we doing this? Why are we even talking about? What is this? this is insane. Yeah. Right? We don't need to do this. You know, let's go kill some whales because I want to read my book tonight when the sun goes down. I mean, this is this is not this is not thoughtful. This is not in any way enlightened. It's very unenlightened. I've always pondered upon the idea of sustainable mining, quote unquote, sustainable mining, because when we talk about things like sustainable forestry, sustainable agriculture, or uh, alternative energy, we're talking about trees that can grow back, farming that can regenerate healthy soils to be able to keep growing healthy crops, and renewable energy that can also continuously be regenerated. But in terms of mining both metals and diamonds, do you think there is such a thing as sustainable mining? Well, look, I think they have done yeoman's work in doing the best they can. They have really tried. They have really tried. And and I think it's it's unfair. You know, people talk about these blood diamonds. Sure, some of the diamonds end up in the hands of bad people who use them for bad purposes. But let's be very honest with each other. The gas in your car, unless you have a Tesla might have come out of the ground in Darfur where they're equally slaughtering people or Venezuela where they're starving them to death or Oklahoma. Once it's refined down to gas, we don't know where it came from. We just don't know. So, you know, the problem with mining is we don't know. We don't know. Did it go through dirty hands? That's number one. And no matter how you slice it and no matter how good a job you do, do you really think, you know, you can suck the seabed floor with a giant vacuum and put it back just the way it was? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. It sure doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> and if I can see an open pit mine from the atmosphere, are you telling me like, yeah, we'll fill it in in a billion years? I mean, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I just don't get I, I don't get why we would anymore. Right, I can put this right. all in a laboratory the size of my living room. I will consume energy. It's not perfect. I'm not putting us up to be perfect. But we're always trying to evolve and do in incrementally better. And this is a lot more than an incremental better, in my view. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know so much about diamond mining before looking into this uh, prior to our discussion. So do correct me if I'm mistaken. But I read an article saying that today we're spending pretty much the same amounts of energy and efforts into mining diamonds. But increasingly, we're getting less and less yield back because the diamonds that were the most easily accessible have been mined first. And now we're left with diamonds in regions that are harder to reach with uh, tougher climates to work around and in parts of the earth that are just harder to extract from. So basically, we're having diminishing returns um, and making it more expensive and more environmentally impactful to mine the same amount of diamonds. Can you speak to this or expand upon this with what you know? That is directionally true. Absolutely so. I don't have the detailed stats because the mining companies certainly don't want it published. But in Botswana, they just invested an additional $3 billion, billion with a B, so they could dig deeper and extend the life of the mine 
another, I think it's 15 or 20 years. And this is all on, you know, they're, they're happily publishing this. I mean, I guess they have to, you know, okay, so you're digging deeper. That sounds more expensive to me. sounds like we're going to do further disruption. Also, you know, one of the big pr- producers of mine diamonds is in Russia. It's in the Yakutia region. It's very cold there. I can't imagine, you know, that's <laughs> mining in zero degree weather. I would imagine consumes a lot more energy. Up in Canada, where De Beers has mines, you know this is this is going to be yeah. Obviously, the digger the the deeper you go, I would expect. Though I'm not a scientist, um, the more you got to spend. Right, and it feels quite intuitive too that with these harsher conditions, it would also make it less safe for workers involved. Well, you know, is it a job you would do for any amount of money? Probably not. <laughs> Definitely not. Right, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't want my kids doing that, and certainly not for the wages that they're being asked to do it for. So when you say to me, well, we're providing employment for people who had none, why don't you take the $3 billion and distribute it, if that's how you feel? Why don't you build a clothing factory there? You know, there's a lot of things I can think of to do with $3 billion to get 2,100 people employed, trained, and actually, you know, having a skill as opposed to just, you know, here, we're lowering in the mine, dig. I mean, I, I'm sure it's more than that. I'm sure there's some engineers, but that's not a lot of people for a $3 billion investment in mm-hmm. my book. Well, shifting gears to lab-grown diamonds, yes. uh, can you walk us through how exactly these are made for those that aren't familiar? Yeah, so I'll do the best I can. I am not a scientist by training, nor do I play one on TV. When all these producers started calling me, I called up the dean at my university the dean of the engineering school where I, where I went to college. And I said, you know, Dean Larson, is this real? And he goes, oh, yes, Alex, this is material science. And of course, you, and he goes, I, I really understood one out of every three words. I'm not going to pretend, but Dean Larson of the Brown University Engineering School is a brilliant man and a great communicator. And he did his best to make a history major understand the principles of how this is done. And then having, you know, been in a lot of these producers and we have a lot of very close associations what you basically do is you take a diamond seed literally a slice or a wafer of a diamond which can be a lab created diamond and you put it in a sealed plasma chamber and you make it as sterile as you can then you put a few inert gases in there and you heat it to the surface temperature of the sun this i remember from the dean not the interior temperature of the sun, but the surface temperature, as though I could feel the difference. You heat it for a certain time frame, and it literally grows, almost like a 3D printer. It grows in layers. It's called chemical vapor deposition, and it's really amazing to watch. What we do is we take videos of it, of it, but then we've got to do that speed acceleration thing with the videos so that you know you can actually see it grow. Otherwise, you would grow old watching it grow. Uh, <laughs> To me, it's it's like watching baseball or playing golf. Sorry, baseball players or golf players. Only cricket can put me to sleep faster. But um, it is it, it is an amazing process. And the only comparison I really have in my mind is like sourdough bread. You know how you always save a piece of the sourdough so you can make some next time? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that. So it, it is very sustainable of itself. It's a closed loop. Though the first lab-grown diamond undoubtedly had to be grown from a slice of mine diamond, once you get the chain going, it's a closed loop. You right. never have to dig another one out of the ground. You keep saving one, slicing it up, growing it, growing it, growing it. It's beautiful. It's completely sustainable. Now, there is energy used 
to, you know, to heat something to the temperature of the sun does take energy. Not going to lie about that, but a heck of a lot less than an open pit mine 20 football fields deep. And a hell of a lot less than a vacuum, I would imagine, not a technician, that runs around the world 365 days a year sucking the seabed floor. And you mentioned that it's not possible by the human eye to tell lab-grown diamonds apart from mined ones. So they're chemically like the exact same thing? The exact same thing. Now, we do laser engrave on the side of every one of our center diamonds, LG for lab-grown, with an exact certificate number from an independent laboratory. We use the International Gemological Institute, and they individually certify each stone as a lab-grown, and I insist that they put LG on the side of the stone. You can't see it unless you have a 20-power magnifying glass, as it's called. We want it known. That's what it is. But when you look at the stone, you cannot tell. No jeweler can tell unless they go to the side, oh, I see the LG mark there. And we're also very careful. We only do the very best cuts of the stones. I'm not here to sell what everyone else has sold for the last 100 years. We sell beautiful diamonds. We sell beautifully cut diamonds. We sell diamonds of beautiful provenance. You can be proud to have on your finger. You know in no way was harm caused to the earth or to any human being. So you could have the symbol of your love there. And don't spend so much on diamonds. It's expensive being married. You don't need to spend all this money on a diamond. So how do you think this increasing availability of lab-grown diamonds will impact the current social and environmental safety standards of diamond mines, if they're related? I hope the slaughter stops, but it's going to take time. We're a tiny, tiny, tiny little sliver of the market now. Obviously, you know, the empire wants to strike back in any way that they can. I feel a little bit like Luke on this little planet somewhere. I don't think we're 1% or 2% of the sales now, but we're the fastest growing portion of the diamond business. And look out, it's going to come. Yes, and we're very much very excited for this. Um, are you aware of any communities of people from around the world that rely on mining diamonds as a sole way of supporting their livelihoods? that this transition might negatively affect? Definitely, definitely. Look, to those 2,100 miners, that's a job. It's a way to, to earn an income for their families. There isn't any question. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and make any excuse for that. Uh, but I think we have to make these choices when we look at our planet warming, when we look at our growing population. I mean, these are difficult choices. I think what's important is if we're going to displace people, from their work? Are we going to retrain them for other work? You know, look, we've done the same thing with coal miners and, 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 you know, all the coal mines in the north of England, there were huge strikes in the 70s when they shut them down. It's hard. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the same or a similar situation with the oil industry and transitioning towards uh, cleaner energy. Is there anything you think we can do as individuals to support this transition away from environmentally damaging mining while supporting those whose livelihoods may be impacted? Well, I think those are two separate questions. To support the growth of lab-grown, just tell your friends. Tell your friends, say, hey, you know, there's a lab-grown diamond too. Have a look. And that's all. Let them go for themselves. By the way, this is preserving the diamond cutting industry, which employs a lot more people, uh, most of whom are in a very impoverished, I won't call it impoverished, you know, things are much better there, a, a town in India called Surat, S-U-R-A-T, and there are tens of thousands of diamond cutters there, and they're now cutting a lot of lab-grown. 
So it's not a zero sum game. But I think the best thing in life is always to tell the truth and get informed and learn for yourself and make your own decisions. You know, the problems in this world of transitions in an in economy never go away. What did we tell all the whalers who would leave their families for six months a year to go out there on a whaling boat and maybe not come back? Some of those boats never came back. You're out of a job now. You're 47 years old. You've got two kids at home, a wife who's not well. This is the only thing you've ever done with your life, and we're not going to kill whales anymore. Let me tell you something. It really sucks for that guy. It does, and we shouldn't ignore that person. But that's a much – that now we're getting into the realm of politics and what happens when an economy reboots and shifts. Remember, we've gone through this before as a nation. We were an agrarian country that became an industrial country. And we had these horrible factories in this country. You may remember the Triangle Fire in New York City. And we eventually got through it. We got unions, which at one time really did change the way workers were treated in this country. It's not something you can tell to the 47-year-old man who just lost his whaling job. But I'll bet on America every time to do the right thing in the end. It just never happens as fast as we'd all wish it had. So what what can't change is what we already have on this earth available to us that we have been gifted with. And what can change in this scenario is what our economies are built around and how people, uh, the opportunities that people have to support their families and support their livelihoods. You said that better. That's what I should have said. But you said <laughs> beautifully. You're at, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That is it. We have to evolve and we have to use science for positive good and there is no planet B. There's a lot of us here now, and we've used up a lot of stuff, and we can't just run around using it up mindlessly anymore. We have to be mindlessly, not mindlessly. That was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, my kids would have said, oh, dad, oh, God, you're so bad. Um, but it's just time to be mindful. And the last thing I wanted to touch on is diamonds at the end of their use. Are diamonds able to be recycled as well, or is it structured in a way that doesn't allow it to be recycled? And so the next, I guess, solution for properly disposing of them would be to resell them or remake them into a different form. What would the best solutions be in terms of the disposal part of it? We get a number each year of someone who says, look, I have the center stone that my grandmother was married in, but I like a ring on your site. Is it okay if I buy the ring? We say absolutely. Diamonds hold a tremendous symbolism, right? And if someone knows that's the ring that grandpa married grandma with, and now it's going to be on my finger, I mean, that just brings tears to my eyes. That is a family heirloom. It gets passed down. And think of the connection, right? Think of the bond between your grandparents and, and the bond you hope to have with a life partner you choose, I think you pass these things down through the generations. That's my view. You can also, I've seen, uh, we've had cases where uh, one of the partners did well financially and wanted to get a bigger uh, diamond on their 20th anniversary. And so they'll take the other diamond and they'll say, would you match it so I can make it a pair of earrings for her? I want to give the earrings uh, to one of our children. So these are these are timeless. These are timeless commemoratives of, you know, the big events in our lives. So obviously passing this down through the generations can increase the value for any family just for the sentimental value of it. Of course, there's also like the resale market for lab-grown diamonds as well. I don't think anyone should buy a diamond and think of it as a store of wealth or an investment. 
whether that's mined or lab grown. I think that's a really bad idea. I think if you want to make an investment by Apple stock or Microsoft <laughs> or Google, diamonds aren't rare. That's the biggest lie out there. De Beers has this big ad, real is rare. Okay, I know what you're trying to say. If you're so rare, how come every mall I go into, I, can, I, I can't even count how many stones I see in every Zale K's and all these stores. There's nothing rare about them. Dig a little deeper, there's plenty there. And if anyone has ever bought a diamond at a mall jeweler and tried to resell it, you, I've never heard a happy ending. Hmm. Now, the diamonds that have investment value are those, you know, $10 million stones we see auctioned at Sotheby's, which some third world kleptocrat is buying with money, God knows. It's just, yeah, okay, that's a good store of wealth, fine. But diamonds are really not an investment. I will go so far as I, I tell us to young couples all the time, the value in this is the sentiment, okay? If you want to make an investment, call a stockbroker. Is there a resale market? I really don't know, but I sure wouldn't count on it. I don't think that's a smart decision for any young couple to make. Well, stepping beyond the world of diamonds, what do you think we need most to accelerate towards a thriving future? We got to stop doing stupid stuff, plain and simple. <laughs> stop doing stupid stuff because it's easy or it's because the way we've always done things. God, the worst reason to do something is because we've always done it that way. Think. One planet, okay. Limited resources, okay. So, you know, we got to reuse as much as possible, not do the convenient, the easiest thing. We got to do the the smart thing. I think that's respect, that's love, and that's intelligence. They're really all the same word in a way. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. We would love to keep learning from you and Clean Origin. So what's next for you guys and where can we follow you online? So cleanorigin.com is a place every young couple should look before they get married. I hope you find something that you like there. I've tried to position it to be the best priced diamonds on planet earth. I've been absolutely committed to having the best customer service anywhere. Our people are told you don't get paid more for selling more. That's not what we're about. Make people happy. And we have a 100 day, no questions asked return policy. And we don't ask you a question. You want to send it back? Good. No problem. All right. There's too much stress around this whole wedding ring marriage stuff. We want to take the stress out. We want to leave more money in your pocket. And we really, really want to put smiles on everyone's face. And that's why I did this. That's what's important to me. You know, I'm on the back nine of my life. I've been blessed with health and a great family, and I want to spread the blessings. So cleanorigin.com is really, an, it's just an extension of my values. And it's my little dent in the universe, maybe. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to tell you more about our sponsor. Arbor Teas sources loose leaf and organic certified teas. They're the first and only company to package all their teas in backyard compostable packaging. Their operations run on solar energy and all of their business efforts are offset by Carbon Fund. I really appreciate how thoughtful they are with everything they do and also love that they're a tight-knit and committed small team. They share lunch together every day, they compost everything they can at their facility, and just take into account how all their decisions impact the planet. To shop Arbor Teas Sustainable Organic Teas, just head to arbortees.com. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-E-A-S dot com. In case you're on the go right now, I'll also have this linked at our website as well, so make sure to check them out. But for now, to our final five. Let's power through. 
What's one uplifting or enlightening social media account or publication you follow? I think you can find the strawberry everywhere. I think there's a little beauty to be found everywhere. I, I was reading something, Echo Warrior Princess, the other day. They talked to me, and I wasn't familiar with them. And I thought it was amazing what they were doing. I love anyone that's willing to peel back the onion and tell me the truth. And if you have an opinion, that's okay. Say, hey, this is my opinion. And that's what I liked about it. This is their opinion. They don't mask it. They're just not putting on airs. So I've learned a lot from that site, too. Um, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I have so much love in my life. What are you working on right now for your health? I've been doing yoga since the early 90s. I met my wife when she was a yoga instructor in the 90s. And so I have a very committed yoga practice. And I recently uh, was in Colorado with an incredible man named Thomas Crum, who is an Aikido master and really an incredible, he's a sensei, he's a life coach and a teacher. And we'd meditate every morning for 25 minutes. That has been incredibly powerful. But I'm going to say, what's the best thing you can do for your health? Surround yourself with love. What are you working on right now to live more sustainably? At this point of the year, my compost pile is really starting to get become very important because I have a very big garden. Tomatoes, broccoli, kale are, are big components of it. And I think the more I can grow, and I love giving away to friends, that's it. And we're very focused in this, uh, in this family on no more single-use plastic. None. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? The millennial generation. You guys are amazing. I'm not one of you, but I really am in my heart because I see a generation that cares and thinks and isn't just out to make the next dollar. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Never stop dreaming and never stop telling the truth. People will eventually listen. Never stop dreaming and telling the truth. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. In case you haven't heard yet, we're now live on Patreon. To become one of our original 100 Green Dreamer supporters, where you'll get bonus monthly Q&A episodes, be invited to join our upcoming private support community, and also forever be written down in my books to receive early previews and discounts to everything that we work on in the future, just head to greendreamer.com slash Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Your support will really help make it possible for us to continue the show and share more resources on our website. And really, I just, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support, whether through Patreon or just by being here. As always, you can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview and the full show notes at greendreamer.com slash 117 for episode 117. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, as well as on our podcast account at Green Dreamer Podcast. I also wanted to thank our reviewer of the week, Stephanie Chanel, for their feedback. They said, I recently started listening to the podcast and am loving it. Each episode is informative and inspiring, but short enough to easily listen on the way to work or when you're short on time. The interviews feature fabulous people who are making an impact in stylish, fun, and appealing ways. So excited for episodes to come. End quote. Well, thank you so much, and thank you, Green Dreamer, for being here, and also if you get a chance to share what you're enjoying with me as well. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe, and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.